The T20 World Cup is coming to our shores in 2020 with the best of the best striving for the ultimate glory. Before that all kicks off, let's join Mel Jones as she chats to cricket royalty on road to the T20 World Cup. Welcome to Road to the World Cup, where over 18 shows I'll be chatting to some of cricket's leading administrators, coaches, officials, fans and legends about their journey in the game and their role in the upcoming T20 World Cup in Australia this February March. Speaking of legends, I couldn't have the first show being recorded without inviting on someone who has ticked off firsts for fun. Belinda Clark, welcome aboard. Thanks for being part of our first show and our special guest. Thanks, Mel. It's exciting. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> it's, it's probably hard to give a short, sort of succinct CV for you because there have been a truckload of firsts. World Cup captain, winning captain, Ashes winning captain, first player to hit a double century in men's or women's cricket. Um, Probably for me, the most impressive, though, was the best ever cricketer to do a routine, a gymnastics rhythmic routine on a Swiss ball. Uh, Do you remember that? No. Do you really? It stands out vividly in my mind because it's going to lead me into the question that I'm going to have for you about your most vivid sporting memory. This is one of mine. We had a a rain break at Lincoln um, playing in a, a series over there against India and New Zealand, and I think we're all pretty just jack of sitting around, twiddling our thumbs, and you as captain decided that we need a little bit of light-hearted banter, and out she came with the music blaring and the Swiss ball, and you did this routine over it that had us absolutely all in hysterics, and it just vividly sounds, and you can't remember a thing of it. You're ruining my image, Mel. No. Everyone, everyone just talks about how cranky I was, so uh, I'd prefer you didn't mention anything that was fun. Okay, um, right yeah. out. Well, we'll get back yeah. to Cranky Club. Yeah. Okay, then. <laughs> Your most vivid sporting memory and it can be anything. I think um, my most uh, my most vivid memory would be playing my first ever game of real cricket, yeah. which was with a, a school team. Um, and we were just a batch of girls that thought, yep, let's have a go at this. And off we went, rode our bikes to the local field where we were playing against another school. We yeah. had a kit with the glo- gloves with the spikes on it. And it was, everyone had team Oh, the kit. old green yeah. rubber spikes. Yeah, that's them. Wow. <laughs> um, and I was so thrilled that I actually got to play in a real game because up until that point, um, my love for the game was sort of caught in the backyard yeah. with no idea that I could actually even play in a real game. When I played my first real game, uh, I just thought I was the bee's knees. <laughs> Do you remember the result? No, no idea. Um, no. I was okay at it because I I'd, I'd, I'd honed my skills in the backyard. Of course. So I, was, uh, I was actually pretty good. It's not a bad way to learn the game, actually. It's a brilliant way. Mm. Your backyard, I, I know from me playing in my grandparents' backyard, that your, your backyard skills sort of almost shape your skills moving forward. So we had a, a spiky bush on the cover drive, and if you hit it in there, you could just keep running until they got it out. So as your hand went in to get the ball, it would rip and cut you. So that was the best spot to hit it, and probably the cover drive was one of the better shots, probably the only shot I had in my career. Was your backyard similar? Yeah, we had a um, we had a garage door, um, which was a big wooden sliding door, and yeah. that was really where we played mainly tennis. So we had a, a good cement area with a wooden door and obviously that's almost just our own our own tennis wall, which was yep. great. Um, and the stumps are on the, the side of that and you run up sort of around the driveway, curl in around the, the side of the house. And um, and at that point, your, your big open spaces were sort of right down to third all around yep. sort of through the washing, um, mum's washing and then into the, the offside. So consequently, I played a lot more fluently on the offside than I did <laughs> the onside for most of my career. Um, and then bowling practice was drawing a set of 
the stumps on the on the sort of the wall and just bowling at it by myself when everyone else had had enough. So um, that that set of stumps was there for quite a while. Automatic wicketkeeper and then out for the summer if you hit your mum's washing. Uh, well, the, they were all fielders, so uh, we had great. Um, we actually had a great backyard for sport. Uh, half cement, half grass, clothesline sort of separating the two. Yeah. Uh, we had some great games. One of them was called Over the Clothesline, which was <laughs> essentially um, just trying to throw the ball over the clothesline. Yep. It was a, often a football or a tennis ball or a cricket ball, and, and on one side you would dive, which was the side where the grass was, <laughs> and um, you're just basically moving your opponent back and forth. Um, so my younger sister and I played it for hours and hours, and you needed sheets on the line for it to yep. be good so you couldn't see what was going to come come over, but lots of good fun. And I'm, I, I just love those um, memories of in the backyard, hanging out with your family and, and playing games. You mentioned tennis as well. I think you're one of your first sort of aims as a, as a young kid wasn't to play cricket at all, it was playing a Wimbledon final. Is that true? Yeah. And I probably held that dream till I was about 16 or 17, I think. <laughs> um, it's probably well beyond me by then. But uh, I grew up uh, in Newcastle, uh, we had a you know quite a strong sporting culture around that time. I played tennis against Rachel McQuillan. She went on to to play at Wimbledon. Yeah. I went and watched her play at Wimbledon. Oh, which really? Was, which was great fun. Brilliant. Um, you know, Shelley Andrews was one of the great hockey roos. Uh, she also I played hockey with her in Newcastle, yeah. and and I went on to play cricket for Australia. So, in a very small small sort of area, I that played, is phenomenal. Yeah, I played tennis with Rachel. I played hockey with uh, with Shelley, and um, I ended up playing playing cricket, which was um, yeah just good fun and. Obviously, there was a bit of talent around the, the neighbourhood. Three absolute guns within a small area. There's a little bit of pet peeve of mine. In, in Newcastle, do they have any stadium, any sporting ground named after any of you? Uh, they don't. I, I don't think so. Um, I we'll start a campaign now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a great sized town to grow up in because you were reasonably independent. You could still ride your bike to places. It wasn't yeah. too big, but it was big enough that we had um, infrastructure and enough other people around to, to play against. You mentioned um, you got to high school and that was your first time as a real cricket game. How important was teachers and phys ed teachers to get that going? Because you wouldn't have seen women's cricket on TV at that stage. No. Um, well, the PE teachers were um, were amazing because they just let us uh, explore so many different things. And I think back now and think the temptation would have been for the girls just to play netball and for the boys to do this. And um, they just encouraged everyone to do whatever was available. Yeah. So I was I was very lucky. Um, grow up in a sporting family. Tennis was the main game. Um, but mum and dad were just, if you want to play another sport, go for your life. But once you commit, you're in. You're in yeah. for the season. You've got to attend the trainings. And when you stop doing that, there'll be there'll be trouble. So we knew the rules. And okay. most of us um, ended up playing a couple of different sports and just really loving um, interacting with other people in that way. Tennis and cricket, completely different in the sense of individual sport versus team sport. What was it about tennis to start with that you, you enjoyed? Uh, tennis, uh, it was just probably the sport. Uh, three, four, five-year-old, pick up a racket. Everyone else in the family played. Mum yep. was a very good player. My eldest sister was a very good player. And it was probably the main thing. But uh, I would go to tennis lessons with my sister and we would ride our bikes to tennis lessons in the morning. She would start at 7. My lesson started at 7.30. So I would ride my bike after her. I would leave at about quarter past. I'd get yeah. to the courts at 20 past. I'd pick up balls for her for 10 minutes. Yep. Then it was my turn. And then my younger sister would, would arrive and she'd pick up balls for me. And oh, then she would right, okay, her, yep. her lesson. <laughs> and I remember distinctly putting the bucket of balls 
in a particular area and my sister, she was left-handed, my older sister, she'd hit four hands down the line. And if we were on the courts over on the, the right-hand side, I would put the bucket in the corner and I'd just be playing little late cuts, trying to get the ball to bounce off my racket into the, into the bucket. And I if we were on the other side, I was doing yeah. leg glances. So all I can just remember from a very young age, always playing cricket shots, whether, whether I had a cricket bat or a tennis racket in my hand. I was just fascinated with this game I was watching on television that my brother played that I never thought I'd actually play. But I was practising all that time. It's interesting because one of the things I didn't mention in your CV is that you're the current Executive General Manager of Game and Market Development at Cricket Australia. So you're looking at ways to develop the game um, for younger people getting into it. Do you feel as if we've missed a beat or it would be nice to go back to that time where kids do play games like that? I think um, trying to find ways for kids to use their imagination um, with sporting equipment is just so much fun. And yeah. whenever I'm playing with kids, um, I'm just fascinated with what rules they're going to make up for the space and the constraints we've got around us. Yeah. Um, and I, when I'm in Brisbane with my nephews playing cricket, I am just in my element. It's like, right, let's go. <laughs> these are the rules. What do you think? What do they think about these? What are your rules? Um, because I just think it's just a wonderful place to explore, um, what you can do and in quite small spaces sometimes. But, um, yeah, I just think kids playing with their imagination and um, with the sporting context in the background is just gold. Competitive much? Very. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nephews haven't got me out yet. <laughs> They're 12 and 14 now. Yeah. <laughs> Does that come from mum? You mentioned your mum was a good tennis player, dad, something just inherent to you? Uh, probably a bit of everything, but I'm, I'm sort of third child of four. So that means I've got a brother five years older, I've got a sister th uh, three years older. So I was forever um, trying to make my way in their world. And my younger sister, the poor thing, um, she was she was like, you know, lost and, <laughs> and left out um, until later in life when we've become, you know, much, much closer when she could finally keep up. I thought, okay, you're all right as well. Um, but I always had my eyes on those older two and whatever they could do, I could, I thought I could do. Um, I was just an absolute annoying younger sister that was into everything. Um, and I just love playing with them. Sporting heroes and in the ones that you mentioned, do you find a, a common theme with that competitiveness? Yeah, sporting heroes. Um, mainly as a kid, they were tennis players. Um, so I, you name it. Um, I mean, you can just, you, you'll age me here, but um, <laughs> it was uh, Mats Willander, it was yep. Stefan Edberg, it was John McEnroe, it was Bjorn Borg, it was that crew. And then mm -hmm. the women started to come through. It was Navratilova, it was Everett Lloyd, it was Steffi Graf. So yep. just as you're growing up and seeing these people just handle, you know, enormous pressure, particularly you know, the Grafs and the Beckers at young ages winning Wimbledon. And we'd always sit up and win and watch Wimbledon um, on the telly. So that that was probably where my imagination was captured the most around performing under pressure, um, you know, on a world stage. And the, yeah. when I first went to Wimbledon to watch, I just thought, wow, this is, this this is, is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember your first women's cricket game that you you watched and were inspired uh, probably, um, I didn't, I watched the, uh, 1988 World Cup final, which was, uh, on the ABC TV. I mm -hmm. think it was, was um, it the MCG. MCG. I, I was there in the crowd for that one. Right. One of probably 500 people, I yeah. think probably. And I think that's probably the first game I saw on the TV. And yeah. because I was playing grade cricket at that point in Sydney, uh, with some of those players, I think what I was actually interested in was the fact that I knew these people and they were out now on the television. I thought yeah. that was, um, that was pretty cool. Um, I was lucky enough during the recent Women's Ashes in, in England to see you present Sophie Molyneux with her uh, test cap, um, which is a special moment for her. Do you remember your debut game and 
if you were even presented your cap at all? Uh, I do remember the debut uh, game. I remember my first one-day game was against New Zealand um, and it was in uh, Hobart, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first test uh, was against India the same the same year. I think the cap arrived in my kit. Um, I probably <laughs> paid for it. Um, I've, I've since found I've got two or three. Um, I found a... Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know how, um, but... Baggy greens. Yeah. The, the main one, the one that I actually wore yeah. is actually in the Bradman Museum. Yeah. But I found another one or two sitting in, uh, in amongst all the stuff when I went through it the other day. Really? So, mm, I don't know. Because it's this... They look unworn, so I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> Stealing them. There may be someone else's. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll, we'll put a shout out to anyone else in that team at the time. If you're missing a cap, yeah. we know where they are. Yeah. Because it's, um, it's been that ongoing thing now that it's, it's, you get one, basically. And for, for women's cricket, we don't yeah. play a lot. So it sort of holds its uh, colour for quite some time. It does. does. No bee stains on my cap now. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. Um, have you got a favourite innings? Uh, I have. I do actually have a favourite innings. Um and will this surprise people? Yeah, it probably will. Um, my favourite innings was I played a um, I played an innings at Eden Park against New Zealand, having said before we left the shores that New Zealanders played a boring style of cricket, which travelled across the Tasman. Mm-hmm. So the first game or two, um, I was absolutely <laughs> getting heckled. Uh, from the crowd in New Zealand and every time I did something, was that boring? You know, the, the crowd would be yelling at me and I felt like this big. And I thought, oh, there's a lesson there. Did you not think that it would get no, out? No, well, or... I was just talking to the lo- local journalist at Melbourne Uni before we left, left the shores. I yeah. can remember exactly where it was and, and I said it and I thought nothing will come of that. Yeah. Um, I was just being a bit of a smart ass. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then all of a sudden it came back to haunt me and uh, we finally got to this game and I'd failed um, – and I think we might have even lost some games along the way. And I thought, right. And that day, everything clicked. Um, I don't even know how many I scored, but it, I just had a day out um, and everything just worked perfectly for me. And it was just the innings that I remember as, as everything just going well. Well, you've completely jogged my memory because that was my debut summer with the Australian team. And I, I do remember the crowd and I thought wow, this is ridiculous. You know, all of a sudden you get picked for Australian. You don't think anyone even knows that there is an Australian women's cricket team. And then you arrive and everyone's having a go at the captain. I'm th- yeah. I got quite defensive, but I actually do. I, I can't remember how much you scored either, but that cer- certainly stood out Yeah, on, in my mind as well. That was a good day out. Well, there you go. Well, speaking of that day out, <laughs> the double hundred, I mean, in the all the innings that you've played, um, it was against Denmark. It was in Mumbai. I can remember it being searingly hot. And I think he hit the, probably the very first ball of the innings and the very last ball. For me, that was just phenomenal in itself. Um, but if you put it, would it even reach into your top 10 innings, do you think? No, I think from a, um, I mean, the thing I remember about that, that tour um, was the pressure we handled at the back end of the tournament. Uh, we played in a semi-final. We probably should have it lost it. 97 World Cup. Yeah, 97 yeah. World Cup. We probably should have lost the semi-final. We were in all sorts um, against India. Mm-hmm. We scraped our way through that game and we find ourselves in a final in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people at yeah. Eden Gardens. So I remember the innings as a really important step along the path of that journey more than I do the innings itself. I mean, they were weaker opposition. Um, my objective was to bat the whole day. Um, I did that and, um, you know, it was just a a step along the, the road. But the, the brilliant memories for that tour are, are certainly it's sort of at the back end of facing the, facing the, the big crowds and, yeah. and finally getting over the line. I can't not 
interview you and still talk about when you actually brought up the 200. I think we've had a chat about this before because in my mind, I'm out there and I'm scratching around as I was usually scratching around and I knew you were getting close and I thought, I'm, I'm part of, I could be part of history here. So then all of a sudden I became very selfish because I want, just wanted to be out there with you. And as, you know, quite a few people know, they, they know that I'm not a hugger, but I'm thinking, I'm going to have to hug you. I'm getting so excited. And then you hit it and I thought, I'm ready for the big celebration here. And you, you came down and you gave me the real sort of stiff arm handshake and went, come on, we've got a long way to go. And I remember looking at the scoreboard and we're on 400 and whatever. And I'm thinking, and we're playing Denmark. I'm thinking, where are we going from here? <laughs> like, this is a moment, Clarky. Give me something. Do you remember it at all? Uh, I do. I mean, I've, we've had this conversation and I did, I did laugh because um, I think because I was actually just fixated on batting out the 50 overs, that's what I was probably referring to. I haven't yeah. finished what I came to do today. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it was just a... Um, it was just a good a good day in the end. They made a fuss about it. They make a fuss about it every now and again. But yeah, um, yeah I mean it's nice. But the the team scored four twelve. I remember that very clearly. Yeah. Um, yeah, good day for us. Mentioned your debut game in terms of playing. What about captaincy? Did you ever sort of get into the Australian team? And I mean, you had leadership roles within New South Wales, and we had some magnificent captains before you. you would have taken over from Lynn, Lynn Larson. Larson. Yeah. Um, how much preparation did you have? Uh, in terms of captaining Australia? Uh, hardly any. Uh, so I um, I was playing club cricket with Chris Matthews uh, and a batch of other people that had, you know, successful sort of Australian careers. Yeah. And Chris said to me, I think you should captain this year. And I said, oh, I don't know about that. Um, I quite like how you do it. And I'm just sort of, I'm happy just sort of, I'll play vice captain role. And she goes, no, I think you should captain. That same year I captained New South Wales. And that same year, I captained Australia. So I was coming from it was quick, a quick, wasn't it? Yeah, a very low base. Um, and my philosophy was, um, I've played under some great captains. So, and I've been standing in the field for a long time, watching and what they're doing, thinking, why are they doing that? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, it's not that easy when it's you that has to has to so make you, the call. But you were always thinking about the game. Though. Yeah, I was thinking about the game, and I loved I loved the strategy of the game. I think that's what um, is really intriguing about cricket as a as a sport. Um, that it's not just you enacting a strategy. You've actually got to get other people to execute the strategy and you need certain people to be doing the right, exactly the right thing. So there's no point putting the field in a certain place if your bowler can't execute. So more, I think more than any other sport, it's absolutely critical that one or two individuals get it absolutely right. Otherwise, you yeah. can talk about strategy, but if you can't enact it, it's yeah. a waste of time. And so I was so lucky that I played with just some amazing, amazing bowlers um, some great batters. I mean, we just, we actually had a team where you could strategize and deliver on it. And I think, I mean, that's just a gift as a young captain to be able to yeah. have that at your disposal. There's strategy on the field, but there's also a lot of strategy off the field too, in terms of just player management and the like. How did you find that part of the role? Was that enjoyable or did you just prefer to just get on the field and play? Uh, oh, look, I think, um, oh, I, I didn't mind it. I think it's probably one of the, the things I've learnt most that's been transferable to life after cricket sort yeah. of finished on the field. Uh, so I certainly learn a lot through that period. And I also was mentored by some really, you know, smart, clever people who weren't afraid to give me the feedback I probably didn't want to hear, but I needed to hear. Yeah. So um, I've mentioned Chris Matthews before. I mean, Lynn Larson herself played in that first year when I was captain. So she's, you know, she's still in the team. She's got this young person. I was 20. Which doesn't happen often, does it? No, yeah. captaining and... Uh, looking back, she could easily have been bitter about that. She yep. wasn't that one bit. She was helpful. Um, I respected her enormously. Um, 
and so she was she was sort of that was like gold having you know someone that you could go to and and talk to about stuff yeah and then I had great coaches so from Peter Backer all the way through to John Harmer just amazing amazing people and I I felt um, every team I captained we had um, options available to us and I quite enjoyed I quite enjoyed that part the off-field stuff sometimes gets tricky but um, mm. that's part and parcel the period in which you were captain and played within the Australian team. Um, you had a lot of success. The Australian current Australian team only just recently broke the uh, the consecutive win um, mark set back in that sort of nineteen ninety seven ninety eight period. Um, do you think though that the losses taught you more? And I want to sort of go back to the two thousand World Cup um, and the loss to to New Zealand in that final. What did you learn from that? And did it really? set a tone then for the Australian team moving forward? Yeah, I probably, my, um, my life lessons have come from sort of a number of, um, I suppose big losses or it's been punctuated with, with losses. I, um, so 93 World Cup, which I wasn't, um, in a leadership role, but we didn't make the final, which meant we missed the chance to play at Lords. Um, that was, uh, that was devastating. Um, and I learned a lot from that around the importance of a team um, being really clear with what it was trying to achieve. Yeah. And regardless of reputation, there were some decisions that need to be made and, and um, we just didn't gel um, as, as a group. We seriously underperformed. Um, and then if you sort of fast forward forward to, to 2000, almost it was history repeating. We had a number of issues in the team. Um, we probably didn't deal with them effectively. Um, people were... I said, I think at that point where we'd had success in 97, um, there's, you know, there's some things that just probably needed to be addressed around the individuals becoming bigger than the team. Um, and I think we did our best to try and keep on track, but at the, you know, under pressure, um, you know, in the world cup final, I think we just, we just come unstuck. And I always look back on that as a, as a lost opportunity, but I also look back on it and think, well, that's what happens in life. If you don't get everything right and you allow that allow things to be not quite at the right level, yeah. then life generally kicks you in the bum. And cricket's got a great habit of doing that. And <laughs> that day we all got kicked in the bum and yeah. I've never forgotten what that felt like. And just the feeling of emptiness because we actually could have, um, prepared ourselves in a, in a better way, not, not physically, but I think as yeah. a group, we could have prepared ourselves um, more effectively and we had to front up and, and smile and shake hands and we were beaten by a better team on the day and. Um, so be it. They, they were better than us and that's what should happen if you don't play at your best. Recently, Cricket Australia had their um, Females and Leadership Forum in Sydney. Uh, David Morrison was the keynote speaker, uh, former Chief of the Army here in Australia and Australian of the Year. And what resonated with me and has stuck with me since then, and I've been talking to a lot of people about it, was his quote about culture eats strategy for breakfast. Do you feel that's that's the case for, for sport, for cricket, for life? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think... Um, um, you can, you can do, um, some really great things, but if, if you're leaving a bad taste in people's mouth or you're not, you're really not, um, delivering, you know, what you should from a sporting context. So what, one of the strong lessons my mother taught us, um, all of us to, you know, at such great at pains was, um, you know, sport is there to be enjoyed and your opposition is there to be respected. And for God's sake, do not argue with the umpire. It was like three, <laughs> three things. Did you argue with the umpire? No, I never it? argued with the umpire. Um, <laughs> I often didn't agree with them, but I mean, that's, they're, they're doing their job. Yeah. Um, so as much as possible, particularly at the end of the game, um, it, it's like a, a loss is a loss and you, you move forward. But 
um, I've always got my mother's voice ringing in my ear about um, the respect. And any minute we've stepped out of line on a tennis court, it was either my mother or my grandmother, you know, threatening to go and get the match referee to drag us off. Or, um, <laughs> so I went through a few tennis rackets. So I learned, I, oh, really? yeah, yeah, I learned, I learned the lessons pretty well, pretty young. That um, yeah, yeah. If you break that, you're not getting another one. Um, right. It's like, oh, I should stop throwing it. So, yeah. yeah, you should stop throwing it. Um, so certainly, it's you know, you just you learn a lot of things along the way. And, um, that was something that I learned, um, pretty early on in life playing sport. You're not going to win all the time yeah. and that's okay. You probably had to be a pretty quick learner too, because back when you were playing, you were also working full time. Um, you're the CEO of Women's Cricket Australia. And at that stage, uh, at the peak of your career, then you're also going through integration with, it was this Australian Cricket Board Australian at that, cricket at board. that stage, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, uh, cricket Australia. Um, we talk about balance in life, but did you have a spare moment? Like, and it was all cricket. Yeah. Uh, and prior to that, I was working at Cricket New South Wales in sort of um, development of the sport as well. So moved to Melbourne. Um, and yeah, I mean, this was... Saw the light and played for Victoria. Yeah. yeah. Got a, oh, I played for New South Wales for one, one year when you I was did too, in that's Melbourne. Right, yeah. And that was, again, it, that wasn't a good idea. I worked out later as well. Um, <laughs> you know, the power of connection with your team is just critical. So if you're not at the training yeah. sessions or you're not, you're not with them very often, then yep. it's really easy to drift apart. So again, that was a, a lesson. Um, no, it was busy time, but look, I had such great people around me. So Quentin Bryce was the president of Women's Cricket Australia. Uh, Rena Hoare, who runs the Bradford Went on Museum, to become the governor, governor general. general of yeah, Australia. I just, I always just stop it. She was president of Women's Cricket Australia. <laughs> I think that's, yeah. that was her highest achievement. Yeah. Uh, she went on to be governor of Australia. I'm that's sure right, she says governor the same. General. Yeah. Um, Rena Hoare was her deputy and she now runs the Brad Museum. So really, mm. you know, salt of the earth people. Yeah. Um, Malcolm Speed was in charge of cricket, uh, ACB at that point. So yep. I was sitting in a group of people who actually wanted this to work and I got yeah. to understand how they went about making that happen. Um, and it was an, it was a big move at the time, um, back in 2001. And it's the best move that either that the ACB or Women's Cricket Australia made. And I think now as a, a sport, we're seeing the fruits of, of that come through. Has that been one of the the biggest changes that you've seen. We look at the, the Australian women's cricket team at the moment, they're full-time professionals. That's amazing. The, the support and resources in and around that squad in comparison to you having to, to juggle full-time work and playing. Is that one of the biggest changes and, and what are the other ones? Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, the other, the other major one is just the volume of cricket they're able to play. Um, I think it's really important. So yeah. if you think back, um, you know, when I started playing, we'd play a two week national championship you basically the bulk of your cricket you played was club cricket and then yep. you'd play a bit of state cricket. And if you're lucky enough, you'd play for Australia a couple of times a year, depending yeah. on the year it was. And now it's the exact opposite. So you play mainly for Australia. Um, you mm -hmm. may play some WNCL, you're certainly playing WBBL uh, and you might play a little bit of club cricket. So in that space of time, we're totally flipped where you're spending your time. So when you play much better quality cricket all mm -hmm. around the world against better players, um, you see you know, the, the cream rise to the top. And that's what I think we're, we're seeing across the globe, actually. I'm, I'm really proud of the work we've done in Australia, the work that's happening globally. And I've just got um, absolute admiration for the group of players that have, you know, managed to navigate that because it's, it's been a, a long journey. I suppose one of the biggest changes too, not only the amount of cricket, but the competition and the, the opposition as well. We pro predominantly played against England and New Zealand. So the rivalry was 
pretty much between that, those three countries, wasn't it? Or in comparison today, you look at Thailand coming into the, the upcoming T20 World Cup. Yeah, and it's so exciting and, and the format of the game has changed. And I think the women's game has like totally embraced the short form of the game. Um, so the era before me played mainly test cricket, a little bit mm-hmm. of one-day cricket. My era played mainly one-day cricket. I played one T20 game. It was a disaster. Um, I then moved off into the you sunset. Okay. Uh, and, and now, I mean, primarily they're playing T20 cricket with some one-day cricket and a, you know, a sprinkling of test matches. So yeah. it, it's just totally changed. And the players have had to embrace that in order to get to where we're getting to now. We're on television. We're getting mm-hmm. really good, um, you know, broadcast um, figures coming through. Yeah. We've got ambition to fill the MCG. Um, there's more countries in the world playing. I mean, this sport is just going going bananas and it's it's wonderful to see. certainly is. Uh, in terms of rivalries, we spoke about New Zealand and um, England being the two that we played the most. Uh, personally, though, for you, was there, was there a match-up and a rivalry individually that you really look forward to, even at a state level? Um, that oh, when I was really playing with you? New South Wales, I love playing against Victoria uh, <laughs> because of the pace bowling attack. Um, yeah. You know, Mason and Fitzpatrick were a handful um, and I just loved um, – that opportunity to play against them and see whether I was good enough. That competitive um, streak coming yeah. through, wasn't it? Um, so that was that was great. Uh, internationally, uh, uh, I, I, I've got great respect for a number of players that I played against. I think um, I played in a great era. I mean, I think from a batting perspective, Debbie Hockley was a class act. Yeah. Um, yeah. Charlotte Edwards was, was an amazing player. Um, uh, India ha- was, you know, sort of up and down through that period, but I've got great respect for Shabangi Kulkarni, who was the captain of um, a team I, I debuted against and has gone on to, to do wonderful things in the game. So I've got absolute, yeah, utmost respect for those for those people. And, and sometimes it's, you know, bowlers that are sitting three or four deep in a lineup that mm-hmm. actually trouble you. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, leaving leaving a, a left arm quick from England called Lucy Pierce and leaving a delivery mm-hmm. that she bowled an in-swinger that took my off stump out. I remember that uh, pretty clearly. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean, there's just a, a number of them. Catherine Campbell was a good competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, just, yeah, just great, great memories of um, great challenges between bat and ball. You mentioned the, the fast bowlers from Victoria, and, and I'm with you there. I had to deal with them at training day in, day out, and Catherine Fitzpatrick and Charmaine Mason. Is it one element of the game that you're now starting to see a shift in? I think the, the game certainly advanced in so many ways with the fielding and, and, and the batting and, and spin bowling, but we're finally starting to see people who want to bowl fast and athletes coming through bowling fast. Yeah, and I think it's probably just role modelling of that. So if you look back, um, you know, to our era, era um, there were people that were bowling um, pretty quick and you'd get a two or three quicks in a team. You get a one medium pacer and you have one, maybe two spinners. Yeah. And then the game sort of overcorrected and the teams are full of three or four spinners, one in two medium paces and one quick. And I think that that balance is just being redressed at the moment. But, um, I think absolutely the game needs fast bowlers and um, they're, they're people are capable of moving the ball off the seam and bowling with swing and yeah. bowling at a reasonable clip. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to grill you a little bit more on uh, playing fast bowlers because I could never do that as well as what I'd like. We'll be back very, very shortly. Well, we're back. We haven't spoken fast bowlers in that break. We spoke all things single-handed backhand, which you had. Yeah, loved it. One of the very few. Top spin, slice. It's actually more dependable than the random forehand I had. <laughs> Um, Australia hasn't hosted too many World Cups. Um, 2009 was the last one, a 50-over World Cup in, in Sydney. It was the first time that the ICC had started to, to take over uh, Women's World Cups as well. 
so often when we talk about big events, we talk about the legacy of. Do you think there was a good legacy from that event? Off On field, it wasn't great. Australia um, finished fourth in, in that tournament. But uh, off field and, and sort of the rise of women's cricket around that time? Yeah, I think what that World Cup showed us, though, because Australia didn't make the final, was we started to see the emergence of some of the other nations. So India had a good tournament. Um, West Indies, I think, caused a couple of upsets. Yeah. Um, so it was basically the point in time where the rest of the world caught up. Um, and I think then from there to today, um, there's been jostling for positions through those you know top six or seven nations, which is demonstrating the depth that's now available. And you're on the local organising committee for this current World Cup as well. Um, what are the biggest challenges? Uh, well, obviously we've set ourselves a big, uh, a big ambition of filling the G on International Women's Day um, for the women's final. And when at the point in time where we were talking about where should we, where should we host, we had applications in from, from a range of um, state governments and state cricket associations and uh, the boldness of that group of people to say, you know what, let's go for it. Um, let's put it at the MCG and let's see if we can we can fill the stadium. And from that point on, it's just been turbo boosters, quick, let's get going. Um, let's see if we can mobilise Australia behind um, this wildly ambitious goal. And yeah, we're really pleased that we've made the decision. We've thrown it out there. We've got a lot of work to do to, 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 to fill it. Yeah. Um, but I think I've got a, you know, a really strong belief that if, if you know, if not now, when? Yeah. And if not us, who? Yeah. Um, so we're, we're really well placed. We're in the middle of a sporting nation. This, this state is just bananas about um, sport. And if, if, we can, if we can't do that now, we'll probably never be able to do it. How hard was that decision, though? Because I think for, for cricket, particularly here in Australia at the moment, there's been um, wonderful support primarily around the WBBL and the boutique grounds. Let's fill that. Let's make it look at feel really good, the vibe's great, to then t go away from that approach to then trying to fill, fill a stadium that seats 100,000. I'm sure there would have been people in that meeting going, don't be stupid. Why, why would you even contemplate that? Yeah, it was good debate. Um, and look, I think... Were you convinced from the start? Uh, I, I wasn't the one that suggested it. But yeah. then as soon as it was said, all of a sudden I thought, I started thinking of the possibilities. Yeah. And then, then I sort of thought, what have we got to lose? Because we can keep grumbling along and we can play a, uh, you know, a final in, in the smallest ground we can find, but that's actually not what this is about. This is about providing a vehicle for, you know, young girls, um, to get empowered and, and sort of go after stuff. So if we weren't going to be bold with this ambition, um, with a great group of athletes, um, a belief in the event that we're going to put on, uh, we just thought this is, this is too good an opportunity to pass up. And I, I just don't think we wanted to be disappointed with, yeah. oh, oh, we've shut the ground and it's not big enough. Um, we thought, okay, let's let's have a go. There's been um, an amazing space for, for women in sport here in Australia, probably since probably around 2015. Things have just really amped up quite a bit. Is it, for you, is it more than just a cricket match then? Is it is it more about women's sport? Oh, absolutely. Um, this is this is about um, getting, A, getting behind our team. Um, so hopefully they make the final. Yeah, um, come so in that, handy. That, that would be nice. Um <laughs> But regardless of that, this is about putting really positive role models in front of um, young girls and boys and just changing the perception of what sport's about. 
and sport uh, is a basic human right, in my view. Everyone should have the opportunity to play. Everyone should have the opportunity to participate mm-hmm. and um, and follow whatever dream they have. And, and not everyone, let's face it, there's a very small um, percentage of people that get through to play for their country. But sport is so much more than that. And most of my great memories are either from failures <laughs> or from the very beginnings of a, of a career or of friendships that were formed um, at community sport in whatever sport that is. I just think it's got such great value to provide to society and this is a chance to sort of amplify that. And I suppose there's also the discussion around sport being a magnificent vehicle for social change as well. Cricket Australia announced recently that they would um, top up the prize money to make that parity for the men's as well. So there's all those discussions that are going on around the game. Yeah, and these things, I mean, they're just constantly um, opportunities to make a statement around something and you can ignore it or you can you can take it. We don't take all of them. Um, no one ever does, but you've just got to be clear that when you pick an opportunity to go hard at something, that you really do go hard and, and that's what this, this is an example of. Do you feel as if um, when there is backlash, because, you know, a lot of people don't like change um, and particularly when it's big, bold statements like this as well. How does how do you individually or as a collective, as a, as a group in Cricket Australia, deal with that backlash? Uh, my, from a personal perspective, um, there's so many people living in this country. What is it, 24 million or something? Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to get everyone on, on side. But um, for God's sake, find the ones that are on your side <laughs> and work with them. Um, so don't don't spend your time fighting fighting the battles of people that want to look in the rear vision mirror, yeah. um, find the people that want to make a positive difference and, mm. and support and work with them. So that's a personal perspective. Will we win them over? Uh, eventually you will, yeah. but um, you'll spend a lot of time and energy and, and heartache um, trying to do it. I think yeah. uh, the most effective way for those people um, to actually get on board is to either experience it or mm-hmm. to know someone that's participating. So that, that'll happen um, over time. But there's so many people that want to see this work, that want girls to have opportunities, yeah. that want equity in, in sport. And I, I think um, we're really trying to appeal to those people to come and put their bum on a seat. You're surrounded by cricket pretty much 24-7 these days. Do you watch it? I do. Um, <laughs> often with the sound down, sorry, Mel. No. <laughs> um no. no, I do. I do watch it. And I've just loved, um, you know what we I've loved? We can cut that out of the program. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I've loved that there's been so much um, of the women's game on the television yeah. that I haven't had to watch every single ball of it because I know there's going to be another game next week or whatever. Yep. So it's on yeah. in the background, no mm-hmm. different to how I would have consumed men's cricket yeah. um, a while ago. And I just think that's a sign of where we're at that, you know, I've watched your show as well, The Blast. It's, mm-hmm. it's cracking. Well, you've done a great <laughs> job. Um, but that all that stuff is just groundbreaking. It's yeah. just, it's wonderful that um, I know when the, when the women are going to be on the television mm-hmm. and I turn it on and I just watch some great cricket. I love it. Yeah. Um, then looking forward to the T20 World Cup this Feb, March, who are you excited to, to watch, to see, to go about their business? Well, I'm a bit biased. I mean, I've I'm Australian from head to toe, so um, I do love watching um, our team play. I mm-hmm. think um, they've just they're just amazing the way they just about tackled. Them? Oh, they just tackled ish. Um, I think they've just tackled the challenge in front of them with a smile on their face. Yeah. Um, they've tried to just to be their best, and and they they lost uh, the World Cup um, semi final. Semi final. That yeah. hurt. Mm. Um, that was probably the first time that they'd hurt like that, and they've responded beautifully. So yeah. um, I just. I love watching them play. I love watching that they just keep fiddling with their tactics. They keep fiddling with the team a little bit. There's yep. always someone new about to come in. Um, so that's that's great. So I love watching them play. Um, I also um, also love watching the subcontinent batters. So Mandana, mm. I just love watching her play. Anyone that's willing to take on a game yep. 
and um, tear it apart, hit over cover and over the bowler's head. I just, I could watch that all day. <laughs> so um, that's how you get me watching a game of cricket. <laughs> uh, could you have bowled? I'm just going back to your backyard cricket days there. Yeah, well, I you did came actually. came predominantly as a, as a batter yeah, captain. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I actually was an all-rounder, truth be known. But um, <laughs> I, I was playing in a, a test match in England, uh, an Ashes game, and the coach sent out a message to take myself off. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I told him where to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually did take myself off yeah. after that. I thought that's a pretty good sign if, if the coach is sending a message out. But no, I, I, um, I was a bit part bowler, but um, yeah. obviously bowled a lot in the nets. Just enough to hurt my back in later life, but um, part-time yeah. bowlers usually get the best players and batters out in the nets. Did you have a bunny in the nets at all? Uh, I always got a new ball, so that's the trick. Um, Smart. Yep, and um, work on your variation. But I reckon I would have knocked Karen Rolton over a few times. Julie Price says the same thing. Yeah, we'll, yeah. Uh, we'll put a message out to Rolts and see if that was the case. Um, the first question at the start of the show was about your sporting moment. The second question to to finish things off is, and you've spoken about it a little bit, about the uh, filling the G on International Women's Day on March 8, but what would 92,000 plus at the G mean to you? Uh, it would mean, I mean, I, I just think sitting there um, with that many people, I mean, I've been to games of cricket at that, ga- at that ground that have been full mm-hmm. and to have women on the field on that day, I think I'll have, uh, I'll have goosebumps just watching, watching that happen and I'm, yeah. I'm sure there'll be... Um, some of my family around, um, I'm sure they'll come down from, from Brisbane and, yeah. and sit in the grandstand and just enjoy the spectacle and, and just be great role models for the next generation of Australian kids. Can you uh, save a seat next to you for me? Yeah, well, I had Theresa May next to me in uh, was that? <laughs> you do, the you World do Cup Men's World Cup final, which was, a, which was a thrill. Look, it'll be a couple steps down, yeah. I'm sorry. But, so uh, if I could have Mel Jones next to me in, the, in the, this one, that'll be fine. There we go. Beautiful. Belinda Clark, thank you very much. Thanks, Mel.